You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, folks, it's lovely to be uh, back with you at St. Peter's. Um, Many of you know that my job title is that of Mission Director of the Free Church of Scotland, and one of the things that happens when I come to a church like this is I realize how much I miss uh, pastoral ministry, how much I really miss being with the same church day in, day out, and it really is a great blessing uh, to be with you here at St. Peter's. I've been around long enough when I knew this church when it was in single figures. Uh, I'm old enough to remember David Robertson when he had hair, and uh, it's really great to be back to see a bald David Robertson and growth in the church. I think the two are in inverse proportion. Can we open up God's Word, please, in the book of the prophet Jonah? You'll find that near the end of the Old Testament, Jonah. Jonah 3, you all know the Jonah story, I'm sure, or many of you will. We are in a missions conference, and yesterday we looked at kind of successful mission stories in Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones came alive, and then Psalm 126, how God works sovereignly, filling the Negev with water supernaturally, but also through the tough sowing and reaping. Uh, But this morning we're going to look at a failed missionary, just to cheer you up and just to inject a note of realism into the story, although he's not really a failed missionary. The story is much more complex than that. Jonah 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Folks, for a a text and for a lens, let's look at verse 1. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
I've always found golf interesting. I've never had any real interest myself or passion for golf, and all the golfers I knew in my old congregation were, frankly, obsessives. It seemed almost like a crack cocaine habit would be less harmful to them and certainly less expensive. I never understood golf. It was a bit like the natural man just not, does not understand the things of the spirit. It just all went over my head. They spoke about all these strange phrases like birdies and bogeys and eagles, and that's just the beginning, and I haven't got a clue of what any of these things mean. And the whole thing goes on absolute steroids when you go over to the USA, where golf is absolutely a, a religion, especially with the folks I used to rub shoulder with. And then one day, one of them told me about a thing I had never heard about in Scotland. It's called a mulligan. Well, you know what a mulligan is? A mulligan apparently is, and it's used, I think, more in America than here in Scotland, that if you really make a mess of your first, excuse my swing, a mess of my, your first shot, your partner will give you a mulligan. In other words, they'll let you off. That's a freebie. The mistake is absolutely excused. It's not in the rules of golf, apparently. It is an act of sheer unmerited grace and you are given a second chance. Wouldn't it be wonderful if life was like that? That we all come and we make our mistakes, and I know hardly any of you, but many of us, I'm sure, come here today with a consciousness that we have made mistakes, that we have got it wrong. Do we ever wish that God would give us a sense, a mulligan, that he would write off our mistake and that we could begin it all again. Well, that's what we see here in the book of Jonah. God gives Jonah a mulligan. This book's not about Jonah. <laughs> this book is about God, and it's about God's salvation. We have arguably the central verse of the Bible, salvation is of the Lord. It's about how God has a redemptive plan for the whole world and how he wants to save folk like the Ninevites. And the story, of course, is how God is going to take the gospel over the whole world. It's an interesting character he uses. He uses Jonah. What do we know about Jonah? Well, he was a prophet. He was a very ordinary one. Let's stop right there. Nothing is ordinary, and yet everything is ordinary in the gospel. We find here that Jonah was from, where was he? Gath Hefer and Zebulun, where was that? Near Nazareth. Well, the Pharisees said, Nazareth, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. <laughs> you know, it's like that Monty Python sketch. The Romans, what have the Romans ever done for us? is one of the most spectacular understatements in history. No good thing can come out of Nazareth. And you can say, well, yeah, absolutely right, apart from Jonah and Jesus. And that's one relationship there between Jonah and Jesus. The two actually are compared in the Bible. And arguably, well, not arguably, it's a fact, Jesus only ever compares himself to one prophet ever. That was not Abraham. It wasn't one of the big boys like Isaiah or Jeremiah. 
Jesus compared himself to the hapless failure of a prophet, Jonah. Now, you can compare and contrast Jesus and Jonah. Someone said, well, Jonah here failed. Jesus does not. Well, did Jonah fail? Of course he did. But his failure led to redemption. Was the cross a failure? By no means. It seemed like that. Uh, But yet, both of them, as it were, plunged into the depths of the earth, one in aqueous solution in the sea, the other one in the grave. But the two of them rose again in resurrection. And so we see the New Testament speaking of Jesus as the ultimate Jonah who rose again for the redemption, not just of Nineveh, a big significant city, but Jesus rose for the redemption of people around the whole world. Both experienced open graves and both preached repentance. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, what are we talking about this morning? Well, I suppose we are talking about, in verse 1, the whole idea of second chances. Again, I have the privilege of knowing hardly any of you. I don't know your stories. David Robertson has not briefed me in the ins and outs of your personal lives, where you all are spiritually, and what your walk with God is. But in a congregation this size, there will be many of us who maybe have made a mistake, maybe a spectacular mistake. Maybe there are some of us who have had some life experience and we wonder, is it now all over? Is my usefulness, is my ministry, is my usefulness to God a thing of the past? That may hit you in your 20s. That may hit you in your 40s. That may hit you in your 60s. That may hit you in your... I was going to say 80s, but I don't know if there's anyone here in their 80s. If there is, you're looking great. (laughs) But we all need a second chance. So let's look at the passage and let's notice in the time-honored fashion three things. The first thing we notice here is that second chances are universally required. There are elements of the Jonah story which which was unique. He was a prophet. Well, in a sense, there are prophets here, but in a sense, not like Jonah was. So that's unique. His mode of recovery was also singular and quite unique. Probably if you are called to evangelize Fife and you don't want to go, you will probably not be swallowed up by a large fish in the River Tay and taken away, whether you like it or not, over to the other side. That is quite unique. And so there were elements which were unique, but second chances are universally required. He was conscious that he had made a big mistake. We see that in the positive in verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Previously, he had not. Jonah had made a mistake, and his mistake was quite peculiar. He was an absolute racist. And he was so narrow-minded. He had a limited view of God, and he had a poor view of so many of his fellow uh, uh, human beings. 
He didn't like the Ninevites, and he didn't want the Ninevites to be converted, and he could not conceive that God's grace and largesse was so large that he would even be bothered with a bunch of folk like the Ninevites. So he didn't want to go. And so his sin was compounded by the fact that he knew he was sinning. This is a story of a man who sinned against light. This is a man who sinned against the clear guidance of God. Sometimes guidance is difficult, but here we find that if God puts wind and a fish and a boat and all these things in place, guidance for Jonah was not a problem. But God dealt with him. You know the story? Yes, a second chance is universally required. Now, I think Jonah was like so many of us. God had used him in the past. Now, so many of you are blessed not to have much of a past. It's like these celebrities who write their autobiography at the age of six or something, you know. There's not a lot to say. But all of us have got a degree of past usefulness, and we worry that our mistake has nullified all that. Like Paul, remember Paul's concerns, 1 Corinthians 9.27, he says, I discipline myself. Lest, he said, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's our nightmare. We are talking about mission evangelism and going forward. We are talking about usefulness. We are talking about being used for God, having the potential like Jonah had to go to our Nineveh and declare salvation is of the Lord. But because of our mindset, because of our expressed opinions, we have blown it. And we say, is that the end? Is my mission gospel career, is my Christian life, is my evangelistic credibility over at the sweet age of filling the gaps? The feeling of having let everybody down. What do they say in politics? Ian Duncan Smith may say today that all political careers end in failure, whatever you define failure. And so we find this feeling of let everyone down. This is a very real issue. In my previous congregation, I have members who would send me things, witty things, usually witty things. Uh, I kept, used to keep a file of nice letters, and I had a nice rubbish bin for not-so-nice letters. And one of the nice things was, you know, that Apollo phrase, and I had it in my study, failure is not an option. I had it above me in my desk to remind me that sometimes these pithy sayings are absolute rubbish. Failure is an option. And for Jonah, it was clearly an option. So remember what we're saying here. Second chances are universally required. He knew that he had failed. Look at the previous uh, chapter. Isn't it lovely how Jonah's full of so many genres? There we have a, a poem, a, a prayer, if you like, in verse 2. He says, from deep in the realm of the dead, the original shale from hell. Verse 4, I have been banished from your sight. 
the water is closed to take my life. Verse 6, talk about a bad day at the office. Verse 6, the earth beneath barred me in forever. This is a man who was dead. And the wonderful thing is that even dead men are used to bring the gospel. That even dead men are used to bring the, the message of salvation. Indeed, I think Scripture turns that round. And the message is not even dead men are used to bring the gospel of salvation. The message is only dead men and women are used to bring the gospel of salvation. If you are not a crucified person, you cannot proclaim a crucified Savior. And so that's what we have here, don't we? Jonah's successful missionary journey didn't have a very good start. You talk about an interview for a mission society or a selection school in a denomination. Jonah's missionary career was rebooted inside the vomit of a big fish. It's not a great start. But out of that, God brings this great drama of salvation. And so remember what we're saying here. Second chances are universally required. Some, indeed all of the greats, have experienced failure. That's the great thing about the Bible. The great thing about the Bible is it is not airbrushed. All the heroes are believable. The heroes and the heroines are all flawed. Abraham lied about his wife, said that she was his sister, fathered a child through his au pair to fulfill the promises of God, a strategy not recommended. Noah got drunk. Jacob was a deceiver. David, well, don't even go there. Simon Peter, the coward, the Christ denier, and yet was used at Pentecost. You see the point there, second chances are universally required. Maybe there is someone here who doesn't need a second chance. Maybe there is someone here who is sorted, who is fine, frustrated, inadequate, neurotic, exhausted, is what they say. It's okay not to be okay, folk, because remember, the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So, if second chances are universally required, second chances, secondly, are undeniably possible. Second chances are undeniably possible. Why do I use the word undeniable? Because there are contenders out there who will deny to us the possibility of second chances. Who would these contenders be? Well, the first contender would be our own guilt, our own conscience, our own sensitivity. That's one of the things that marks a believer from a non-believer. If you're struggling today in about assurance, I don't know if folks struggle with assurance uh, uh, these days as they did in the past, one of, one of the marks of being a genuine believer is that you have a heightened conscience, that you worry about sin, that you worry about shortcomings, that you worry about failure, 
that you don't do things that are inappropriate. You do things which are wrong. And so our own heart condemns us at a time. And anyone who has been influenced by the Holy Spirit will be sensitive to sin and failure. We will have a tender conscience. And so Jonah, I'm sure, had that tender conscience, didn't they? We know that David did. Because when he sinned in Psalm 51, as it's recorded there, he said, against you only have I sinned. In your sight done this ill. Second chances are undeniably possible. So our own guilt is saying, how dare you witness to your friend? How dare you? Don't you know your own heart? And then the second contender, yes, we have our own guilt, and then we have our own peers. The sad fact is that someone said the Christian church can be so guilty of shooting its own wounded. (laughs) Whatever happened to that guy, Jonah? There was always something fishy about him. I never trusted him. The old ones are the best. <laughs> there he was. He was the guy who was called to Nineveh, and he tried to escape. He went to Tarshish. What's, what's, um, what's on with him? What's the crack with Jonah? Oh, last time I heard, he was sunning himself in Spain. He is someone who, you know, he went for an easy ministry in, in the sun. The Christian church can shoot its own wounded is there someone here wounded? Is there someone here made a Jonah-like decision not to obey God, and everybody knows about it? Let's not be embarked in a gossip colloquium here. Let's realize that we're all in it together. God does not hold grudges. We don't take God for granted and live in what was called cheap grace. Well, we sin and God will forgive. Anyway, that's his job. No, as we had, and by the way, one of the elements I love in your service is your call to confession. I just loved this morning the consciousness that we are sinners, the consciousness that we come to God in repentance. And if we come to repentance, that is it over with God, not in a blasé way, because our forgiveness came at a great price, the ultimate price. But if God has forgiven, let's forgive one another. The famous expression is, yes, he's buried the hatchet, but he's left the handle out to use it again another day. So often the case. Now, there are various elements here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He did recover. There are two principles in in recovery. Principle one is God is under no obligation to give us a second chance or a third, or a fourth. God did not have to take Jonah back, even though it was unconventional. There are phrases that one used to hear, and you don't hear them so often these days. Arguably, they were cliches in the old days, but I think a generous view would say, no, they were not cliches, but 
You used to hear the old people quoting the Scripture, Lord, we are not worthy of the least of your mercies. That's a principle. God is under no obligation to us. Jonathan Edwards said that man is God's natural enemy. It's just the way things are in the ecosystem of the universe. There is this proud, rebellious heart of ours that rebels against God constantly. We are all that God is not. God is under no obligation to save us. God did not need to use Jonah. God could have let Jonah drown and gone on to someone else. But principle number two is that God has a very short memory. God has a perfect memory, but it's very short. Short not because it's faulty, but he intentionally forgets. Jeremiah 31, the the new covenant, let, let me read it. God says, I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Here it it is. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Our sin has been dealt with in Christ. That's how we apply the gospel all through our lives. The gospel is more than John 3.16. It is that. And the gospel is not just our entry point into the Christian life. The gospel is applying the forgiveness of Christ, the atonement, all through our lives. Someone said, Christian living is arguing the good news into your sin-torn heart. Christian living is arguing the good news into a sin-torn heart. Read Romans 7. Read the battle, the civil war. But then thirdly, second chances here are laden with service opportunities. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and the remarkable thing is, see the commission in verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God had restored him to the land of the living. Now God restores him to office. Hugh Martin has written probably the classic work on Jonah. By the way, it's just a little tip for those of you who, who are young. Uh, a young girl, mix your reading. Okay, read the new stuff. There was life before Tim Keller. There was even life before David Robertson. Read some of the greats. Mix, mix your reading up. Read the new stuff. Read the old stuff. Read Hugh Martin. He says this. In fact, it'll probably be dead cheap and Kindle. Amazon will be for nothing. It'll be a snip. He said this, it is indeed a signal instance of divine grace when the rebellious servant is not only pardoned but personally and personally restored to favor, but even replaced in office. Now, it all depends on the nature of the fall, of course, but let's follow the text here. Just because you have let God down 
does not mean that you are on the scrap heap. By no means. It would have been a great mercy if Jonah had received a, a kind of private pardon and then said, okay, go back to Beth Heifer and live out your life and just witness to the folk that you play golf with and just do that sort of thing. God's work of restoration is a perfect work. There are parallels here, of course, with Peter, where the shepherd's crook is placed on the penitent's hand. Isn't that a lovely expression? It's in my notes. It's so good. It must have come from someone else. The shepherd's crook is set in the penitent's hand. You know, Jonah had been broken, and there's a lot more breaking to go on. But Ephesians 2, the incomparable riches of his grace, there are no limits in what God is going to give here. Now, God would have been fully justified in silencing Jonah forever. One strike and you are out. My friends who are applying for police just now, Police Scotland. And in the interview process, it's extremely interesting. One candidate was having a little chat with the officer, and they were talking about drug use, and uh, she said that she'd never, you know, taken drugs in her life. A few days later, she said in passing that she had a, a little puff, a spliff at a party, sacked on the spot, out. No questions, no redress, Out. God's not like that. God heals. God restores. And He does not deal with us as we deserve. You see, God was going to use Jonah with a greater reality because He Himself was a specimen of what He was going to reveal to the Ninevites. That He Himself had been redeemed. Salvation is all of the Lord. That's the message of the Bible. This is central verse in the Bible. Now, I think Jonah was naturally hard. I think Jonah was naturally tough in a bad way, and he lacked natural compassion. But God used him. There is not a single Christian in here this morning of whom it can be said that God will not use you. Think this morning not of your past. Think of the future possibilities. And one of the thrills in being in a congregation like St. Peter's is the potential that we have in the congregation. And I'm not just talking about the younger folk, I'm talking about the older folk. The demographic in this congregation is incredibly good. It's very well balanced. We have got a great message. I think of a great Wesley hymn. Depths of mercy can there be? Mercy still reserved for me? Can my God his wrath forbear? Me the chief of sinners spare? 
That's when we have an encounter with God, when we see ourselves as we are, the ugliness of sin in the mirror, and we look at ourselves and we say, I hate myself. Depth of mercy, can there be? We're not talking about a spliff at a party three years ago. We're talking about willful rebellion against God, the pride and arrogance of our heart. And when that's revealed to us, the sheer horror of it, depth of mercy, can there be? And then Wesley discovers, there for me the Savior stands, shows his wounds and spreads his hands. God is love. I know, I feel Jesus weeps and loves me still. That's the message of the gospel. Whether you encounter the hopelessness of your student friend who is on the verge of suicide because their life seems so dark, or whether you're talking with someone in their 60s who feels that their life is an absolute failure. God is love, I know, I feel. At this moment, Jonah was the prodigal. But he's driven back because of the hope of mercy. If I don't like golf, I hate American football. You go to these games, and it's ridiculous. Rugby with wimp for wimps. They wear all this gear, and they stop for adverts, and oh, it's just ridiculous. It's a famous match, 1929, in the Rose Bowl. Georgia Tech playing the University of California. There was one player call, called Roy Regals. And uh, he got into a bit of a scuffle. And uh, he was disorientated. He was an Atlanta player, but he was so disorientated that he ran down the wrong way, scoring for Georgia Tech. Or almost scoring. Nightmare. So at halftime, they go back in the locker room, and the locker room is silent. The coach, Nibs Price by name, who normally gave the guys, as we would say in Glasgow, a, a rollicking. They would really go for them. But always silent. And then towards the end of the interval, Price said, okay, men, the same guys that started the game are going to finish the game. And he all walked out, apart from Regals, sitting there with his head in his hands. The coach said, Roy, get up and go. The game is only half over. I'm talking this morning to those of you who feel it's over. What a God. We stumble and fall. But the Lord Jesus Christ puts his nail-pierced hand on our shoulder and says, get back in the field. The game is only half over. There's still more to play for. I thank God for Jonah. I thank God for the greater than Jonah 
who plunged not the depths of the sea, but the depths of hell, and took upon himself all our sins. That's the message the world needs to hear. Wesley said, now incline me to repent. Let me now my sins lament. Now my foul foul revolt deplore. Weep, believe, and sin no more. Beloved, indeed, the world is full of Ninevites. And the message is salvation is of the Lord. The essence of religion is reconnection. We have a great gospel. And we have purveyors of the gospel in front of us. Nobody here is finished. Father, we bow in your presence, thanking you for your love and kindness, for that great message of Jonah and the parallel message of Jesus. Help us to adore you and enjoy you today. Forgive our sins, for they are many. Restore us, renew us, and use us in the days ahead. Forgive all our sins. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.